Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. My guest today is Tracy Gilmore Nimoy. Tracy brings both lived and clinical experience to today's show, including difficulty conceiving, infertility, high-risk pregnancy, traumatic delivery, infant pregnancy loss, and pregnancy after loss. Tracy is a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified perinatal mental health professional. She works with individuals, parents, and families throughout their reproductive and family-starting journeys, and has become a fierce advocate of perinatal and reproductive mental health with the goal of supporting and empowering other women, individuals, parents, and families. Tracy is a return guest to our podcast and our first show together. We named and discussed the three, what we called transitions, experienced in one's life within the context of Tracy's clinical focus. They included pregnancy, infertility, and postpartum. She shared with us some of the common experiences she hears from folks going through each of these transitions. It was a great show, and if you haven't listened to it, I'd recommend you go back and do so. We're so very excited to have Tracy with us back on our show today as part of our clinicians series, where we're going to take a deeper dive into the techniques and strategies and constructs around perinatal mental health and the unique ways that Tracy works with those that come through her door. Tracy, welcome back to our show. Thanks so much. I'm so excited to come back and be here. I appreciate it. Great to have you here. You know, as we set this up with this focus today, the perinatal and reproductive mental health, if you would, what is typically going on in the life of those that are walking in your office and coming to see you? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, reproductive and perinatal mental health is a pretty broad spectrum specialty. And so what most people think of when they hear that is pregnancy and postpartum. And that is a great portion of it. I'm a little different in that I focus more on the subspecialties. So I do do that. I do do pregnancy and postpartum, but I really have a special place in my heart for pregnancy loss, Mm. infertility, birth trauma, donor conception, surrogacy, adoption. And so I'm really looking at the experiences that maybe not everybody is going to have. Mm -hmm. They're kind of entering it thinking, I'm going to be pregnant. I'm going to be postpartum. It's like they're expecting certain experiences to happen and then it doesn't go as planned. And so while I do it all, I really Mm -hmm. focus on those sort of subspecialties. I want to just highlight that because what you did so vulnerably and we were so appreciative of it was to share your journey in our first podcast. And without having to go over today, I'm going to encourage our listeners to go back and take a listen to that because it was so powerful. And I think the vulnerability and the candidness you had, really the transparency in that podcast, I think invites people to recognize that it is safe to talk about this. It's important to talk about this. And there's a place and a way to do it that can be really therapeutic. So when folks are coming in and you have this focus, especially Mm -hmm. typically, what are they walking in with? And and how are you beginning to kind of assess, hey, what might we take a look at here and use therapy for in a beneficial way? Yeah, well, I think a lot of this stuff presents as anxiety. And like even prior to something going wrong in a pregnancy, it, it, the feeling is is anxiety. And oftentimes people will get labeled as being, quote, just anxious, like just an mm-hmm. anxious pregnant person. And it's really common that a person will have a bad feeling about pregnancy and, and will go to the doctor and the doctor will say, oh, this is just anxiety. And so that's a primary emotion. And now if we're talking pregnancy loss, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. we're talking trauma and how does trauma present? Well, it often presents as anxiety. I'm scared that this is going to happen again. I don't mm-hmm. feel safe. It, it rocks the sense of safety. And so anxiety, trauma, depression, of course, if someone's losing a pregnancy, if someone can't get pregnant, if someone is in the midst of a pregnancy after loss or a high risk pregnancy, they're going to be feeling sad. They're going to be feeling depressed. And so I would say anxiety, depression, trauma are kind of the way that these things present at the, at the onset. I know what you're describing right now is you're kind of normalizing and kind of universal, you know, this this idea in therapy, we get to kind of universalize, if you will, that you're not the only one. And we can begin to kind of normalize that these are normal experiences given what you've gone through or currently in. Yeah. Oftentimes I think about anxiety as the perception of a threat whatever right. that may be. And the perception that I don't, I, that I don't have control over that, or I'm not going to. Yeah. And the key the word lack in of there control. is, right. The lack of control. Exactly. Right. And so mm-hmm. the idea is that the, and the key word in that is the perception. And I would imagine right. that a lot of this is, I don't feel like I've got the ability to cope or manage with this. How do you start to yeah. name for them and normalize depression? Yeah. Anxiety is common within the context of this trauma. And here's yeah. how we're going to lean into this. Yeah. Well, it's such a good question because here's the thing is pregnancy, even when everything goes perfectly, is anxiety provoking. It's an experience that happens in your own body. And what's unique about it is that there are two patients. There's the baby Mm -hmm. and there's the parent who's carrying that pregnancy. And so not only are you focused on the carrier's health throughout the pregnancy, but then, you know, keeping this baby healthy and alive and safe. So most people are going to feel a normal dose of anxiety in pregnancy without any challenges. Now, if you throw in, okay, like your scan came back and there's something concerning or your blood pressure is really high or you have gestational diabetes, or Mm -hmm. there's a history of a high-risk pregnancy or a really tough delivery, a traumatic delivery, it's not only anxiety, it's trauma. And what's different about trauma, even though it presents kind of similarly to anxiety, is that it's rooted in lived experience. Whereas like anxiety might not be, it could be a catastrophic fear, right? It could be like, I'm scared that I'm going to walk into this building and all the elevators are going to break. And it's like, well, has it ever happened to you before? No, it's never happened to me before. That's an example of of anxiety. That's anxiety. I'm scared this is going to happen. And so you really have to be able to know the difference because I can't treat trauma and the anxiety that accompanies trauma in the same way that I would treat anxiety like that. Mm -hmm. I can't say this is really unlikely that this could happen. Could it happen? Yeah, but it's highly unlikely because when someone is coming to me and they've lost a pregnancy, I can't say to them, you're never going to lose another pregnancy. That doesn't happen. So it's very different the way that I look at it when someone comes in. And that sounds like an important starting point of this is not just something in your head. You know, this is not something yeah. that what if or could be, or yeah. this is something yeah. that's, I like what you said, rooted in experience. Yeah. And this is real. And the perception yeah. is not just this, this has happened and what's going to happen possibly this time. Tell me, sound like you're talking more, more about women right now, holding it yeah. just for a second. Sure. If there's a partner in the, in the room with them. What are they experiencing? What's the difference between the genders and their response to these things that are coming up? Anxiety, depression. Yeah. So what I typically see, and of course, everybody's different. What I typically see is that the non-pregnant partner feels like they have to be strong and keep it together. And Mm -hmm. the person who's 
pregnant or trying to become pregnant, like the focus is on them, which, you know, makes sense or the patient, but in some ways it creates this relational divide Mm -hmm. where then the person who's pregnant feels like, oh my gosh, my partner doesn't get it. They're just telling me to think positively and just to stop being anxious. And then the other person feels like they have to be strong. And so they might be actually feeling that way, but they're not vocalizing it. And so like, and nobody checks in with them, at least not as much. Like I remember just like in my own experience and I'll give a very quick clip note version of had a third trimester loss. And I was a therapist prior to that loss. And I went through the process and realized that nobody knew what to do or say to me and very traumatic delivery that I almost didn't survive. And then following that, due to the surgeries that saved my life in that delivery, have had multiple miscarriages and infertility. So in my own experience, like nobody checked in with my husband. When they called him to check in, it was, how's Tracy? And I remember he just kept saying, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like, I don't feel anything. And then complete meltdown you know, a year later (laughs) of, oh, wow, this is really impacting him. And so I think because we aren't used to acknowledging the experience of the partner, it can go missed Mm -hmm. and it can create relational distress. Mm -hmm. And they need a lot of support to realize that one, everybody has a different experience and it's okay if they don't align. But oftentimes what I see is that it's usually the person who is pregnant that will grieve more openly and and be more dysregulated or expressive in those emotions and the partner will be more stoic. And then with time, that person who's pregnant will learn how to regulate and they won't be crying as much with time. And then the partner will sort of fall apart. It's like Mm -hmm. the over-functioning, under-functioning. When one person's functioning up here for the system, the other one can kind of fall apart and then it kind of switches at that person, you know, later function. response. It's, it's such yeah. an interesting piece because it's, you know, let's just say the, 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 the non-pregnant partner, the guy in this, in this situation, let's say might, yeah. might be wanting or to woman, be supportive. If you yeah, know, sure. Couple, Depends. Yeah. yeah. So let, let's say, the, yeah. let's, let's say the non, the, the non-pregnant partner, you know, in, in those cases, they want to be strong and they, and, and they, and, and they want to hold the person up. And yeah. it almost feels selfish that how can I express, you know, what I might be going through if they're the ones that are, you know, that are pregnant and yeah. I'm just trying to be here and I could see where yeah. they're not gotten, they're not talked in or, or talked to or, or, yeah. or checked in. But what a nice space I would imagine yeah. that you're able to create for them. Yeah. The not pregnant partner in the therapy to say, yeah. hey, let's not forget you. Yeah. And I remember so clearly, like I, in my own experience, I, and I see this in therapy all the time where like you know, they get frustrated. They're like, I want you to be upset about this. Like, this is upsetting. Right. Stop pretending. And I remember my right. husband used to just say to me, I need to be strong for you. And at one point I just, I remember just like screaming at him, like, I don't need you to be strong. Like, I need you to be real. Like, what is yeah. happening? Like, are you not depressed about this? Yeah. And I remember that was just like kind of the moment where he could just kind of like fall apart. And then he would share with me how depressing it was for him mm-hmm. and how painful. And I think what, you know, What's important to mention is that there are differences in these processes. So the person whose body it is, is going to have the medical trauma and the physical intervention and pain and recovery. The person who's the partner is going to have the added emotional trauma of, of witnessing their partner go through it. That's tough. So, yeah, I mean, you, you, you talked about this idea of trauma. It's a, it's a lived experience, even yeah. You know, in vivo in those moments, trauma, right. experience outside the realm of normal experience. That's yeah. huge. And to watch that take place and to vicariously be a part of that, that is traumatic, isn't it? It's so traumatic. Yeah. And to feel helpless, like mm-hmm. you can't do anything to help that person, you know, mm-hmm. to 
to make it better for them or to even like I hear a lot of partners say like I wish it was my body I wish I could go mm-hmm. through the procedure or surgery for because, you like yeah I mean because that's the thing is it's not just like this is what's so unique about any trauma in the like reproductive space is that it's medical there's a medical procedure usually multiple medical procedures so it's not just like okay, you have this traumatic incident and it's one incident, it's mm-hmm. multiple follow-up. And then usually it's continued follow-up if you're trying to get pregnant again. So it's like you actively put yourself back in a situation that that will likely reactivate and, and, and trigger the trauma. Yeah. Whereas with some other traumatic experiences, you can kind of avoid, you can say like, okay, I had a really bad experience at the summer camp. I'm never going back to that summer camp. Mm-hmm. But if the goal is to try to get pregnant again and you've experienced trauma, you have to kind of put yourself back into you've that. You've got to you know? go through that again. Yeah. I mean, even yeah. like something as simple as like going to the dentist can be really mm-hmm. traumatic because you have the bright light. And if there's, you know, lights in a medical setting, you're often laying down and you're laying down when you're having these examinations. And so even something like that can be really dysregulating for someone who has. Absolutely. I think that's a good reminder that, you know, you go through it one time and you're going to go through it, you know, go through it again. You've got to go through the same experiences and the same things being triggered and brought back up and, and, and trauma, trauma gets locked in our neural network, doesn't it? Those things get, gets, get stuck there. And then, and the body remembers as well as the mind keeps the score. Yeah. Keeps the score. Absolutely. And it's important to recognize that these aren't just, you know, easy appointments. These are appointments where you're naked and yes. you, you know, someone is, is doing a very vulnerable examination. You so you're very physically vulnerable in addition to very emotionally vulnerable. And this brings up like the challenge of lack of trauma-informed care in medical systems of like, you're going in, not only having to deal with that, but often someone not acknowledging the loss or saying things that are really hurtful or dismissive. And so it's really, really tough to, to go back into these situations. That would be an interesting show at some point to come back and talk to kind of our medical colleagues about trauma-informed care. I used to do a number of talks when I was working at a hospital yeah. with physicians about ways to relationally connect first and yeah. then to build whatever medically things you know they had to address. But that is such an right. important cornerstone. And when that cornerstone is not there, oftentimes yeah. the physicians wanting to be positive or maybe not kind of wanting yeah. to go down that path yeah. emotionally because they don't know what to do with it if it opens up. Yeah. They stay kind of sterile and hygienic and it misses a great opportunity. I've, I I've would love to come health. back if you did like yeah. a panel with doctors because this is yeah. a big part of my work. I don't just do therapy. I'm mm-hmm. talking to your doctor. <laughs> I'm doing yeah. case management. Most people are coming in and they say, I don't, I need a new OBGYN. This one wasn't supportive or they said this or they didn't say this. And so when I get the doctor on the phone, I'm like, use me as a tool. Because I I feel for them, like they don't, they're not therapists. And I do think while it would be great if they had a little bit of like the training, it's really an unfair expectation to place on them. They also don't get an hour with each person like we do. They get 15 minutes, a good doctor who can kind of bend the rules a little bit, who's trauma-informed will give more time in situations like these. But, you know, they they don't have the training that we have. They, I mean, I have a lot of friends that are doctors and we talk about this all the time. And I ask them, what mental health training did you get in school? Mm-hmm. And the answer is always nothing. Right. A round of psychiatry in the hospital. Right. Like exactly. they don't get it. They don't know how to interact with patients. And it's really simple things. Like if I can tell a doctor, 
ask the baby's name or just go in and say, this is so awful. If I can give them just like a, like a, just a, a few simple little, few word phrase, that's right. All right. here's what would be helpful. Don't put them in a, an exam room full of baby photos. Right. You know, read the chart before you walk in so someone doesn't go in and say congratulations or so they're not asked 10 times, why are you here when they, they're there for, you know, to check again because they know there wasn't a heartbeat. Like very simple things, like the things that are free that cost nothing but mean everything. Yeah. then like that patient's going to go in and have a way better experience. And that doctor is going to use that when they meet with other patients. It's really good. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Most of us spend more time at work than anywhere else doing anything else. So why not spend that time in a job you love? Introducing Triad's Jobs Marketplace, the only job site dedicated specifically to behavioral and mental health professionals. Featuring more than 1,000 open jobs from dozens of behavioral and mental health employers and searchable by location, professional field, employment type, specialization, and more. Jobs Marketplace helps you find your next career opportunity. Full-time, part-time, or gig time, make the most of your time. To access Jobs Marketplace, register for your free professional account at hellotriad.com bht. That's hellotriad.com slash B-H-T, and then click to Jobs Marketplace. If you're already a member of the Triad community, visit app.hellotriad.com slash jobs. That's app.hellotriad.com slash jobs. Visit us today and take your next career step tomorrow. Really good. I, I think that's uh, where we get to kind of equip some of our medical colleagues and and they have great hearts yeah. and they have great intentions and they're bright and they're doing right things. But adding that relational component can make all the difference in the world, particularly around this area where there's trauma just yeah. surrounding it. And so, I, and I love the idea too. I want our listeners to kind of pick that up that one of the things you do is you are in contact with your, your patients, you know, physicians and, and kind of yeah. doing kind of a team care approach, which I really love. Let, let, let's talk about, you know, some of the places where couples might get stuck or they're particularly yeah. just really struggling. How do you yeah. enter and how do you help work them through exercises, approaches, techniques? What are you doing when someone is really struggling and maybe kind of pick an example yeah. and walk us through it? Yeah. I mean, I think like the biggest thing with a couple is the communication. Like I see that for every couple and it's true in trauma and grief of like going in and acknowledging that each person is going to have a different experience and that that's okay. The key thing is that we can't expect our partner to have the same experience as us, but we also can't expect that we then don't meet their individual needs. And so being able to help them advocate for and recognize, like, what do I need from you and what do you need from me, knowing that that might be different. So just and as a so, start, if I could just jump in on that, but I just kind of want to frame something first. You're going into two steps. The first step is I want to kind of psychoeducate them yeah, yeah. In, in the idea that we're going to have different experiences, same moment, different experiences in it. Same journey, yeah. but it's a different journey that we're each going to have unique. Yeah. And that's a normal and okay thing. And then you're taking yeah. it a wee bit deeper and you're saying, yeah. let's start talking about your journey and your journey and how they're uniquely yeah. going on. Take me into yes. that part. Yeah, you're right. So that it's is the good. processing of the experience, right? Like what's coming up for you? Where do you feel it in your body? What are the emotions? What's going on for you in your head? What are the thoughts? Oftentimes it's things like my body failed 
for the person who's carrying, if we're talking pregnancy loss or infertility for the person whose body is, my body failed or I failed you, I can't give you a child. For the other person, it's often things like, I don't even want to talk about this. I don't want to upset you. That's a really common one. If I bring this up, you're going to be upset. And the other person's like, I want to talk about it. I want to know that I'm not alone in feeling this. Because what happens with that discrepancy that we talked about is then one party feels like, okay, I'm messed up and this person's fine. And now the expectation is that I get on on their same playing plane or their field, right? And I need to be fine. And that creates a really big problem because now neither person's needs are met. So that that's the mm-hmm. processing. I, you like know, that. I'm imagining is, you know, as we're having this talk today, for those that get to watch this, you'll you'll see Tracy's office here. Those that are listening, let me just kind of build kind of create a vision for you. This is a very inviting office you're sitting in right now. And I'm imagining mm-hmm. as you got that couple on that couch behind you, you sometimes and mm-hmm. and helping them individually begin to kind of discover within themselves, maybe even explore within themselves. The very things you're describing right here. What am I feeling? Where mm-hmm. did I carry it in my body? What's going on? Yeah. What are my thoughts, feelings, needs, hopes, fears, yeah. all those things. Yeah. It's very hard for couples to turn and face each other mm-hmm. in the beginning of therapy sometimes and say, hey, let oh, me yeah. tell you what's going on, what's going on. And I can imagine you kind of getting your chair and kind of going knee to knee when- and just kind of going face to face with one of them and yeah. kind of holding that while their partner yeah. listens and kind of goes, oh, I, not, I, I didn't even know that. And then yeah. kind of stopping and holding that piece and then going to the other couple and saying, hey, what's that like to hear? Yeah. What, what comes, comes up, up for you? you, as you hear that? Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, using my body as a tool, right? Like my body language, like my leaning in, my affect, mirroring, like mirrored, what I would call mirrored attunement, reflecting back like what they're saying. So if I see pain on the face, I'm mirroring pain, yeah. right? And you can't help but not feel that too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, absolutely. It's you're holding that with them. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. I mean, it's a sacred space. Like when you're in it, you're in it. I mean, I I cry with people when they cry. I mean, it's really such like a tender specialty because mm-hmm. it, I mean, it's babies and it's people's lives. And it's, it's like what people imagine. And then it goes the complete opposite direction. It's relationship mm-hmm. at every level. And it's like, they often talk through the therapist. And so it's saying yes. like, I, I pause people and say, I'm going to ask me to do something that's going to feel uncomfortable. I want you to repeat everything that you just said, but I don't want you to look at me. I want you to look at your partner. Very good. And if it feels right, hold their hand yeah. or put your your arm on on their back and sometimes like when someone's sharing something really vulnerable I'll, I'll stop and say what do you need from your partner and say i want them to rub my back or so I, I want them you know things like that and so really yes. keying into the body language and and, and having them not talk through me and then mm-hmm. slowing them down because sometimes people will go very quickly and i have to pause and be like hold on one second this is really big Let's sit with this for a minute and then going into, yeah, so good. What is it like to hear? And then a lot of times people are like, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And they can kind of come in and like recorrect that, correct that narrative. Mm-hmm. If someone's saying, I failed you, the partner can come in and say, You're not a failure. I don't blame you. And so, like, it's like, Oh, like that's the work, you know? Guys, folks that are listening and, and, and just as you and I are talking, Tracy, that is the work right there. That is just a lovely description of what gets to happen in that sacred space yeah. that invites people to come in. You know, there's a you're saying earlier that when we, be, we 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 begin to share ourselves, there's a desire to be known. A colleague yeah. and I do, do, do a lot of couples work, refer to it as knownness. That's mm-hmm. one of our greatest needs to be known. And that knownness comes from yeah. 
at his best, vulnerability, the, 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 the ability mm -hmm. to transparently and candidly and honestly, vulnerably share ourselves. But it is such a scary thing. I don't know how you're going to respond. I don't know if what I share yeah. with you is going to burden you. I don't know if I'm allowed to say yeah. that. All those things yeah. come into play. But what I love that you're doing is you're so present yeah. with those that are sitting on your couch right behind you there and inviting them into yeah. that vulnerable space so that knownness grows. Yeah. And what comes from that is that shared understanding. And out of understanding comes empathy. And out yeah. of that empathy comes this connectedness and a depth of growth that people so long for, but oftentimes really don't know that they long for it as deeply as they do. And then when they begin to experience it with you, yeah. I would imagine you see yeah. some beautiful things emerge yeah. on that couch right there behind you. Yeah. And I think what you're describing is really the therapeutic relationship. Like what is our job as a therapist? It is to see people, to know them, to, to allow, to create a space where they can be who they are. And it doesn't matter if it's not what we're supposed to do or say. And I always tell people because I feel like we have weird jobs and people come in and they want to like win therapy or like they want to get an A plus. And I tend to attract like high achievers. Like this is the population. It's the people that are like at the top of their careers, they're doing well. And then for the first time, yes, it doesn't go well with fertility. And that is like, just like such a mind fuck for them. They're like, but I did everything I did. I did everything I was supposed to do. Right. You know, and it's supposed and to go a certain way now. Yeah. And it's supposed to go a certain way. And so they right. come into therapy of like, tell me how long I'm going to grieve for. Tell me what I need to do. Like, you know, well, I want you to like me. It's this whole thing. And, mm. you know, I wait for the report to build a little bit. And then I like to tell people, I like to say like, listen, like I love and care about you. And there's nothing that you could say to me that I a, haven't heard before, probably have experienced myself or would make me think any differently about you. And if you're not sharing honestly about what's going on, about those dark thoughts, or about the things that you feel like you can't say, I can't help you. I can only help what I know. And that is always like the moment for people where they're like, oh my, you know, like, okay. And then we can kind of like break through that barrier. And it's that authenticity that leads to what you're talking about of, of feeling known and, and feeling understood. And it's really fascinating because if you ask people, what is the most important human emotional need? Like, what do people usually say? Love. I want to feel love. And yes. that's not the most important need, according to research, is what you're talking about. It's to feel known, to feel understood, which leads us to feel loved. Absolutely. And if you love me and you can hold that space with and for me, I'm yeah. going to feel so loved beyond words. Yeah. And there's something so intimate about that and so connecting around the effort being made to understand each other and know. And that knownness, you're right. That's the, that, yeah. that's the precursor to the love that we seek so deeply with each other. Folks, pardon the interruption, but we'll continue this discussion on our next show. This is your producer, Peter Fanger, on behalf of Dr. Graham Taylor and our podcast. We want to thank our guest, Tracy Gilmore Namoy, for coming on to our show today. For more information about perinatal mental health and Tracy's private practice, please visit TGNTherapy.com. If you're looking for more resources on perinatal mental health, please visit tgntherapy.com slash perinatal dash resources. And lastly, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in today, and we look forward to seeing you next time on Behavioral Health Today. 
we appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.